0: are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. There is no one like you. There is no one worthy of praise. You are the only one worthy of praise and you are worthy of all glory and all honor and all praise and all dominion and all power. And today we declare that you are God. We declare that there is no one like you. We declare that you are good, that you are working for our good. We declare God that you win. You have won a decisive victory for us. And we declare that all power is yours. We praise you. We exalt you. We glorify you. We magnify you. You know, as we were singing that last song, I thought of the the triumphal entry when Jesus went into Jerusalem and everyone was shouting and praising God for for all that he did. Messiah the one that takes away the sin of the world and they were rejoicing in it And the the Pharisees rebuked wanted Jesus to rebuke them for the things that they were saying and you know sometimes we're hard on that crowd and we're like well you know they shouted praise him on on the Tuesday but they shouted crucify him on Friday but at least they said something on Tuesday when he passed by at least they recognized that he was the Messiah and I wanna challenge you today that when you are facing adversity, you need to start opening your mouth and declaring that God is good. You need to open your mouth and start declaring that all victory is yours, that you overwhelmingly conquer. That's not emotionalism and that's not you know sensationalism and you're not ignoring the reality of life. You're just declaring a greater reality over your life. And that's faith. If you only worship God when you feel like it, that's emotionalism. But when you worship and you declare his goodness, when you don't feel like it, that's not emotionalism. That's faith. And so God, do we declare today that you are good and that you are exalted over all things. We look around, God, and we watch the news, and it's depressing. It looks like that all things are in chaos, but they're not in chaos because you stand firm, and your word stands firm. And God, at the end of all that we see, you will still be standing firm. When our our flesh is destroyed, we will see you. And God, we will cling to that hope. We will not shrink back, but we will be like those who press on who persevere, who stand firm in our faith, who walk in agreement with your word, who do not excuse sin in our own lives. But God, we take authority over all of it by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And we walk according to that truth today in every way. So God, let it be done in our lives, both now and forevermore in agreement with your word. We pray it in Jesus name. Amen and amen. You can be seated this morning. We're going to go ahead. Thank you, worship team, for, for leading us today. We're going to go ahead and dismiss our, our children for Children's Church. If they want to meet their teachers out in the, the foyer area. And if you are staying in the room with us because you want to hear the word, go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Anybody excited? Good. You should be because you win. Way too many of us are living like we lose. And I know life is hard, but we win. And if we are not living like we win, why not? Why not? Because we're spending too much time thinking about what we've lost. Set your mind on things above. We're in a series in the book of Hebrews and I won't take time to do a lot this morning, Um, but if you want more of it, go to our our website, our podcast and you can catch up to where we've been because this is part 19 uh, in the book of Hebrews and we're on Hebrews chapter 11. And the, the writer of Hebrews has been trying to encourage people who are facing a lot of hardships and are wanting to turn back from following Jesus. And we agreed last week that they at least are facing as many hardships as you and I have. Okay, because some of them are being cut in half. Some of them are being fed to lions. Some of them are having everything they own stolen from them. So I know we complain about taxes, but 15% is a lot less than everything. Amen? Amen. So they're at least having it as bad as we are, and if he's encouraging them, don't turn back, then he would be encouraging us to also not turn back. And in the, the book of, uh, Hebrews chapter 10 where we were last week we pulled out four things that we need to remember because if we do not remember these things we will be tempted to turn back and the first one was remember there are better things waiting that last forever and to remember there are better things waiting than last forever means to loose your your grip on the things of this world that means relationships that means positions if you don't get that promotion let it go There are better things coming. You lose a loved one, I I know it's a difficult thing, but you have to understand there are better things coming. If people walk away from you in life, they betray you, you've gotta understand there are better things coming. When Jesus said you have to hate everything in this life compared to knowing me, he has to be enough. He has to be enough. And if we forget that, we will be tempted to turn back when we lose something, when we lose money, when we lose a possession, when we lose a friend, when we lose a loved one, when we lose a position, whatever it is, we've got to loosen our grip on the things of this world. We have to remember our reward. Remember that even if people don't see what we're doing, they don't recognize our gifting, they don't praise us for what we've done, it doesn't matter because our reward lies with the one who sees everything. And here's the thing. We can full people someone just this last week was walking through a hardship and they said to me I hope you never have to face what I'm facing right now but if you do I know you'll be able to make it because you're a man of God and you know what I said to them I said hang out with me for a week And you'll see that I'm just like you. And I'm tempted to quit just like you. And if I sit and wallow in that, I'm going to walk away. But if I remember my reward is not from what people say, it's in him. I don't care if I don't have to live by if my wife doesn't praise me, if my kids don't praise me, if the deacons don't praise me, if you don't praise me, you don't have to say good word, pastor. Because you might say good word to me, and the Holy Spirit might say you shouldn't have said that. So it doesn't matter what we say, it matters what he says. And so we've gotta remember our reward is in him. We gotta remember who we are. And to remind us, I'm wearing this shirt, and this S doesn't stand for Superman, it stands for Son of God. Because that's who I am. I'm not me anymore, I'm hidden in Christ. God doesn't see me, he sees Christ. And when I fail, I repent of it so that he continues to see Christ and not me. And he's put his spirit in me. And so I can come up to God's level of living Do you understand when God says my ways are higher than yours and my thoughts are higher than yours? When he says be holy as I am holy, I just shared this with our track team this last week. When God says be holy as I am holy, that word holy literally means to be a cut above. And when you think of like a cut of meat, or you think of a cut of a gem, or you think of a cut of cloth, there are some cuts that are lower and they're cheaper, and then there are other cuts that are more expensive because they're a better cut. God is the highest cut there is, and he says, you come up to my standard. So you can say, you know, I love some people, but God says, love your enemies because that's my cut. You treat them like you treat me, like I treated my enemies. And when I had enemies, I died for them. And so he says, you can't stay down here. You come up to my level. Don't think like you think. Think like I think. And that's why we read this book. This is why we study it and we meditate on it because this is how he thinks. And if how I'm thinking is not the same as this, I need to memorize it, study it, read it until this and this are the same. Well, that was better than that, but you can just say good work preaching later. Remember, the last one, what pleases him. Remember that God is not pleased with good performances, okay? That doesn't mean God doesn't want us to do well. He does, but he's pleased with faith. And faith is just the trust that God exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So when I fail... And I recognize I've failed through the work of the Spirit, and I repent of it. God is pleased with me just the same as if I had never failed to begin with. We think the one that finishes the race without falling down is the one that pleases God. That's not the case. God is pleased with the one who gets back up and keeps going because they trust God him. They've put faith in him. And so we're going to remember these things. It would be good for you to write these things down and remember them. And I'm going to continue to refer to them over the next couple of weeks as we go through Hebrews chapter 11. There are 31 verses that I'm hoping to cover today as we the the message I've entitled it Faith Revealed. And hopefully we'll get through 31, but here's the goal. If we don't get through 31, I'm just going to stop wherever we are, and I'll just start there next week, because next week I hope to finish the chapter, but I can just pick up where we left off, because there are two things that are contained in Hebrews chapter 11. The first thing is this definition of what faith is. Okay, and so we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to go to the testimony of how people have lived out faith, okay, because the description of faith are examples for us. Remember, the men and women in Hebrews chapter 11 are not superheroes. They're people just like you and I. They're empowered with the same power you and I have, and so whatever they did is possible for you and I. And so we're going to hopefully learn from their example, but let's start with the definition of faith. And so Hebrews chapter 11 opens with these words, faith shows the reality, faith revealed. It shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Now, hope for us is like, sure, I sure hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. Okay, or maybe you hope it does rain tomorrow if you're a farmer. And so we ho- we're like, I hope, cross my fingers, cross everything, you know, do whatever I can. I mean, I hope the penguins win this series and every time they pay, play, I wear the same shirt because I hope they win. And that's my hope, that's my faith revealed. But hope biblically is not like that. Hope is certain. Okay, when God says something, it's for sure. It's not like I hope this happens. It's, it's a done deal. So faith is the reality of what we hope for, it's the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. And it is impossible, this is verse six now, to please God without faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Now let me remind you that we are to be reading every day Hebrews 10:19 through 12:13. Okay, 1019 through 1213. So some of what I'm gonna say today might go through quickly, but if you will read every day these passages of scripture, then they will work into our hearts and lives. Just the fact that you showed up today or you're listening online today and you're you're seeing or hearing a little bit, it's gonna help you some. But if you are diligent to seek God, he will reward you for it. In other words, it will have a benefit for you, it will be profitable for you. We think of it like a reward system like a treat system when my dog does something good we reward him with a treat but that's not what God is saying God is saying if you diligently seek me it's to your profit meaning there's a place of blessing if you just diligently seek me you automatically get rewarded it's just profitable for you to do it Okay, so it's not like he's, going, he's like good boy and patting you on the head, or good girl and patting you on the head. He's just saying, if you follow this, you seek me. Now I say that because this word in the New Living Translation, sincerely seek God, I don't think is a good translation of that word because that word means an earnest and thorough search. And while I do believe that we have to be sincere when we approach God, or it has to truly come from our heart, we have to worship him in spirit, sincerity, and also in truth. And so it's not just enough to be sincere, we have to be diligent and earnest and thorough in our seeking of God, meaning we have to also walk in truth, okay, And so what faith is, is it's a reality. It reveals itself. If I say I believe God exists, it should show up in my life. In other words, I should be living like God exists. And if I'm not, I don't have faith. Or it reveals at least a lack of faith. Remember when Jesus was awakened by the disciples because they're like, Lord wake up because we're gonna drown. And he calms the storm and then he rebukes them for what? A lack of faith. Meaning their response to that storm showed that they didn't understand that he was in control. And I know when we say, well the Lord rebukes us, okay, you. When we respond to a storm in our life out of character, it reveals a lack of faith. We don't trust God's in control. We trust that that person who caused that storm in our life, okay, they have more power than God is what we're saying. Now, when God rebukes us, that's not, we're gonna learn this in Hebrews 12, but let me just tell you now so you don't get discouraged. That's a sign that you're a true child of God. I mean, if you're walking through life right now and you're not getting rebuked at all, I'd question whether you're a child of God. Because God will, he'll discipline us. He'll rebuke us for things that we're thinking that we shouldn't be thinking or saying that we shouldn't be saying. And so if we're not being rebuked, that's a problem. And if you are being rebuked, don't be discouraged by that. Be encouraged by that because God's getting you up to a higher cut. Does that make sense? So faith is reality. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a story about a rich man and the rich man dies and goes to hell and this poor man goes to heaven. And he's try, this rich man's trying to tell God, tell Abraham in this story, send someone back to my family and tell them the truth so that they, they don't come to this place. And Jesus says, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. See, we think, God, I'll believe you're the healer if I see a miracle. No, you won't. In other words, it won't be a lasting thing. If you can't believe he's the healer before the miracle, the miracle won't change you. Because it doesn't produce faith. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. And so if there's no faith in my heart from the word of God, there will not be faith from my natural senses. If I can see it, I'll believe it. No, you won't. Because if you don't believe it first, you will never see it. I mean, it may give you a boost of energy for a little bit, but it won't last. And this is why faith has to be produced in our life. Jesus, when he rebuked Thomas, remember Thomas said, you know, the other, all 11 disciples, 10, Judas was no more, all 10 disciples saw the Messiah. We saw Jesus, he's risen from the dead. And Thomas is like, I won't believe it unless I see it. I touch his wounds. And Jesus says to him, Thomas, go ahead, touch. Now Thomas didn't need to touch, the rebuke was enough. <laughs> and Thomas, he loved Thomas, and he rebuked him. And look what he says, you believe because you've seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing. Without seeing. Why are they blessed? Because it's the path of blessing. You can't please God without faith. If we don't believe first, we're not gonna see. Romans chapter eight, verse 24. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. It's like we were given a hope as a seed faith as a seed at salvation and it has to grow and mature in us so that we can see the fruit of our faith. How many of you know if you plant a tree with a seed today, you won't be picking apples tomorrow? You know that? And if you plant faith in your heart, you don't always get to pick the seed or the fruit the next day. Sometimes the fruit doesn't come for a long time. But will you continue to believe? Because if we don't patiently and confidently wait for it, we didn't believe in the first place, the scripture says. That's true saving faith. And if we realize this faith is lacking in our hearts, do you know what we do? We cry out to God. Some of us are so afraid to admit that our faith is weak or lacking. And so we stay in a weak and lacking faith pretending that we have great faith. And if we would just come to him and say, God, my faith is weak, he'd be like, let me give you more. Let me increase your faith. Let me help you. But as long as we're like, God, I've got great faith like Peter. Lord, even if everyone else turns back, I'll never turn back. I got great faith. He's like, you don't have great faith. You just blew up at your your kids because they did one tiny thing. That's not great faith. You just had a conniption because your boss yelled at you for something you didn't even do. That's not great faith. Am I meddling? Just a little bit? I hope, and I hope I'm not meddling. I hope the Holy Spirit is rebuking us big time today. Because here's the thing, if he rebukes us today, tomorrow we're gonna have fruit. Now it may not be a full apple, maybe it'll be just a little grape. (laughs) But it's gonna be fruit and it's gonna be lasting fruit. One more scripture from James. What good is it, don't don't get your hopes up, I don't mean one last scripture for the day. One last on this part. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that faith save anyone? I mean, James is cutting to it right here. If you say you have faith in God, but our actions don't match that, Can that really save us? Is that really saving faith? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son? Why? Was he saved by his actions? No, he was saved by his faith, but his faith wasn't complete until it was acted on. Because if we don't act, we don't have faith. You see, his faith and his actions work together and his actions made his faith complete. That's the Bible. That's the word of God. That's not me. That's not Joel Osteen. That's not some televangelist. That's not some prosperity gospel. That's the word of God. Faith and action work together. And so the question of do we believe that God exists? And if we believe that he exists, are we acting like it? Meaning that do my responses, my actions, are they beginning to change to come up to his level? Or am I still in the same level of thinking I was 50 years ago when I got saved? Am I still in that same area? Do we believe that he rewards those or it's profitable to diligently seek him? If we have this true faith, the writer is saying, we're gonna act on it and we're gonna keep acting on it and we're not gonna quit, even if I die without receiving what I hoped for. Because later in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, look at what he says. All, all, all these people died still believing what God had promised them still expecting the day they died they expected to be the day yet they did not receive what was promised and here's the thing if you if you're not ready for that you're not ready to follow Christ if you're not ready to die believing that he is good that he is who he said he is and no matter what you're just not going to turn back Jesus said count the cost If you're not willing to lay everything down for me, you're really not worthy to be my disciple. Because here's the thing, he laid everything down for us. And if we're not willing to do the same, and heres he's gonna help us do it. But if we're not willing to cooperate, we're not really even worthy to be his disciple. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. It's it's kind of a rebuke to them because these people are ready to turn back because they're, they're tired. They haven't seen the results of their faith. He says all of these people died and they didn't see the results of their faith but they agreed they were foreigners and nomads here on the earth. What did they agree? They remembered there's something better coming. There's a reward coming. I know who I am in him. They remembered these things. Obviously, people who say these things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland, and that is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. See, every day that we keep clinging to faith, and every day there's a delay, and every day that we have to just fight every emotion within us to stand on the truth of God's word and not how I feel. It produces in us character. We've already talked about James 1 and 2, where James chapter 1, 2, and 3, where it says consider it joy when you face all these trials because they produce character in you. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. Every time you face a problem, no matter how small or how big, it helps you develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And that's more important to God than houses and cars and money and healings. And big ministries, your character. Too many people have houses, monies, cars, big ministries and no character. And then they end up bringing disdain on the people of God and the church of God. Our character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. The more you cling to it, the more it gets strengthened. And this hope will not, 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 not circle and underline it in your Bible, lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us his Holy Spirit to fill fill our hearts. And these men and women, they didn't even get what they wanted. They didn't even get what they were promised. Some of them got some of it. Some of them didn't get any of it. And we're going to talk through them and how that applies to us. But the scriptures that we opened with says they got a good reputation because of their faith. Can I tell you their good reputation wasn't with people. Their good reputation was in heaven. In fact, Hebrews 11 later tells us the world was not even worthy of these people. That means they they weren't recognized for their greatness. The greatest people in the kingdom of heaven aren't even noticed on earth. They're not even noticed. We think there's gonna be great reward for these people we notice, But I promise you the scriptures teach us that it's the ones we're not noticing that heaven looks at and notices. That one that just refuses to quit. And maybe they don't look like the super saint that we think someone else is. Maybe they're too raw or maybe they're too up and downy but their faith just will, will not relent. And heaven shines on them. And one day it'll be revealed. One last thing before we we get into this is the object of our faith. Because faith doesn't matter as much as the object of our faith. And the object of our faith, we're told in verse three of Hebrews chapter 11, is the God who created everything we see out of nothing. Out of nothing. And so God can do whatever he needs to do in your life if he created everything you see out of nothing. Okay, if you go back to Romans chapter four, Father Abraham trusted in this God who brings the dead back to life and creates new things out of nothing. Why was Abraham able to persevere and be obedient even when it was difficult? Because he believed in the God who makes stuff out of nothing. And so if you feel like your life is empty right now, perfect. That's exactly the kind of material God works with. Nothing. Nothing. He doesn't need anything except your faith. You putting confident hope in what he said. And he makes something out of nothing. And he gives us all of these people now in Hebrews chapter 11. Different backgrounds, different personalities, different situations, different responses, different outcomes to show us one thing that God works in every life that looks to him in faith, that God works through every circumstance that looks to him in faith, and he gives us the encouragement to persevere. And so hopefully as we go through this chapter now and we look at some of these people individually, hopefully they'll encourage us where we are. Hopefully you'll be able to relate to what they're facing and you'll be able to apply the same obedience they applied to your life, to my life. And so let's start with the first one he gives us, Abel. Hebrews chapter 11, verse four. He brings up Abel. Remember Cain and Abel? They brought a sacrifice to God, and Cain didn't bring a, the right sacrifice, and God wasn't pleased, and he killed Abel. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man. His offering was the evidence of his faith. It showed, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. Here's what we need to learn. Some sacrifices please God and others don't. What are the sacrifices that God wants? A pure heart. He's not pleased with all of our great feats for his kingdom if our hearts are impure. And some people say, well, Cain brought a a, a fruit of the ground and Abel brought uh, a blood sacrifice and that's what God wanted. And, And we don't know why the sacrifice wasn't, but here's what we know. Cain did not bring A sacrifice that pleased God. It wasn't his best. It wasn't, in some way, it wasn't acceptable. It doesn't say that they brought a sin offering to God. It just says they brought an offering. And here's the thing. Cain brought an offering. He was very sincere. He wanted to bring something to God. He went to church. He brought an offering to the front. He lifted his hands in worship. I mean, he did something, but his sacrifice didn't show his faith. Or maybe it did show his faith, and God rebuked him for it. And you know what Cain did? Cain got offended. Cain got offended. He got offended at God, he got offended at his brother, and he killed him. And some of us sit in a church pew week after week after week after week, and we're still holding stuff against someone else. Little petty things. But I'm not talking about those of you that are admitting it and working through it diligently, and and you are. I'm talking about those of us that are just ignoring it, blaming them. Well, that person, it's all that person. No, it's me. It's me. Sincerity is not enough. We have to diligently and earnestly seek after him. Now, here's here's the other thing that we can learn from this. God still speaks through Abel's death. So the worst thing that we think that can happen to us in this life is to die, to be killed. But if someone kills you, God speaks through that death. If someone hurts you or wounds you, trust him that can speak through that. Okay, no one has power over you except him. Do you understand that? Your boss at work doesn't have power over you. Your neighbor doesn't have power over you. Your spouse doesn't have power over you. I mean, they only have the power that you relinquish to them. But if you put your, hand, your life completely in the hands of the Almighty, he is the only one that holds power over you. Now, you may not like some of the things that he allows or does, but you wrestle that out with him. And if you do, you'll be better for it. So then he gives us the next one, verse five. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And then he goes on to say without faith, it's impossible to please God. So Enoch had faith. In Genesis, it tells us that Enoch walked in such close fellowship with God that God just took him. He didn't die, he took him. I mean, can you imagine what kind of life you and I would have to live? I mean, do we want that type of close relationship with God that God gives us the desire of our heart just to be with Him? Think of that for a second. I mean, the psalm that says God gives us the desires of our hearts. For so many of us, the desire of our heart is a, is a spouse, the desire of our heart is children, the desire of our heart is money, the desires of our heart is a position. The, what, are, what, are the, what are the desires of our heart? And God still wants to give good gifts to his children. But what if the desire of our heart was just him? Just him. I mean, it's possible to live that kind of life because Enoch did. And Enoch did before the Holy Spirit was even given. That's the kind of life that he's calling us to, where we want him more than anything else. Verse seven, by faith, Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God. It would have been foolish for Noah for God to come and say, Hey, Noah, I'm gonna destroy the earth with a flood, and I need you to build this boat, and him say, Oh, thank you, Lord. I I mean I'm coming to the altar today and I'm praising you for that. And then to keep going back out and never start building the boat. Did he have faith? Well, he, he came to church every Sunday, he must have had faith, but he never built the boat. He never picked up a hammer. He never gathered wood. Would he have faith? And yet, we come and we think that just coming here is an act of faith, and in a way it is. But if we're not daily putting his words into practice, what kind of faith is it? Or if we're only putting them into practice when everything's good, or when people treat us right, what kind of faith is it? See, Noah, for 120 years from the time God promised the flood till the time it actually started raining, 120 years. Now, we don't think he took all that time to build the boat. The animals had to come. Other things had to be done. But imagine he was the only righteous person on the earth. I know sometimes we feel like we're the only one. Even Elijah was like, I'm the only one. And God's like, you're not the only one. Remember? But Noah literally was. And he built a boat in the desert hundreds of miles from the shore and it had never rained on the earth yet. Idiot. I mean, what do you think people said to him day after day after day after day? And Noah just kept preaching righteousness to them. How did he preach it, with his words or with his actions? Maybe both, thank you whoever's paying attention. He built a boat to save his family. Then we come to Father Abraham. By faith Abraham obeyed God when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. See, I mean, we all want an inheritance, amen? I mean, God, give us your inheritance, but how many of us are willing to go with no direction, no real plan, leave everything behind, lay everything down? You know, what the name it, claim it, you know, prosperity gospel doesn't teach us is the way to an inheritance in God is to let go of everything. Because if we just name it, claim it, so we can amass wealth for ourselves, to spend it on ourselves, it will destroy us. How difficult it is for the rich to go into the kingdom of heaven. But how can God bless those with great wealth who lay everything down? Because they can be trusted with it. It's not gonna vex their soul. In fact, they're gonna use it to build his kingdom. That's the truth of scripture that gets twisted in a selfish manner, to take for ourselves. I mean, Abraham became a very wealthy man He did become the father of a great nation. He got a great reputation. I mean, all of that is true. But the pathway to get there was to leave everything behind and trust God to provide. How many of us are willing to do that? I mean, we look at people that do things like that and we're like, what are you doing? That's so foolish to empty out your savings account. I mean, the Bible says you should be, you should, what what are you doing? Why are you selling all your stuff? Why are you trying to to loose yourself from the things of this world? Why are you you going on the mission field? That's not safe. Why are you taking your children there? That's not safe. Oh yeah, leave your children here to grow up in a cesspool of America. That's safe. Better for them to die on the mission field giving everything for God than to sit in our homes and fill their minds with our junk And yet be safe here in America. I mean, we try to protect their physical lives, but we don't protect their soul. And Abraham left it all. And even more than that, he tells us later on that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He was willing to put his son on the altar. I mean, God promised you're gonna have a son. And then says, I want you to offer him to me as a sacrifice. What kind of God is this? And how many of us want to turn back because God didn't come through on his promise or he gave it and then he took it away? Did we have faith to begin with? Did our faith get weak because we didn't endure that trial? We've got to strengthen our faith. God just, Abraham, it says, reason in his mind that God was able to bring his son back to life again. I mean, I don't know about you, but the thought of holding a knife over my child and the willpower it would somehow take to thrust that, my only child that I waited into my 90s for. What's he ask us to lay down? I bet it doesn't come close to that. And he can be trusted. We sing the song, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. It comes from that passage. Because when Abraham did it, God said, stop. Now I know your heart. God already knew his heart. He knew what he was going to do. But it had to be revealed through his action. It had to be revealed through his action. I want to cover one more. At least. Maybe we'll do one more after that. Because this one goes with Abraham. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. I love in, in Romans chapter four, we already read it, that when Abraham and Sarah were as good as dead, they had a child. I mean, that's really how God works. When it's like, when you're in like the hopeless, I mean, there's no chance now. It's like, oh yeah, with God, there's always a chance. Why? Because he brings the dead back to life, and he creates something out of nothing. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need doctors. He doesn't need our help. He needs our faith. He needs our faith. She believed that God would keep his promise, and so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there's no way to even count them. How many of you remember the story of Abraham and Sarah? The the scripture says that Abraham never wavered in his faith, remember? Do you remember Ishmael? It says that Sarah believed God to keep his promise, but do you remember the laughter and the rebuke? What the writer of Hebrews is, is trying to tell us is Whenever you, unwavering doesn't mean I never made a mistake. Believing God means I didn't, you know, at first not believe or laugh. What it means is when I get rebuked by God, I repent. And when we repent and put faith in God, it's like it never happened. And so if you today have repented, God looks at you and says, "Hey, here's my son or daughter. They have never wavered in their hope." And we look at that and we're like, "But God, yeah, I did cuz I I wavered before I got in here today. Don't you remember?" And he's like, "Nope. Because you repented." Do you understand, remember what pleases God, not your perfect performance, but your faith, your repentance, you come back to him and say, God, this isn't your standard, I wanna come to your standard. And it pleases him, and it's like you've never wavered in your faith. Abraham and Sarah, I love it. Do you love it? Just lie to me, and then we'll we'll do one more. Because we gotta do this one, because they go with Abraham and Sarah. (laughs) because it's Isaac and Jacob and then we'll stop I promise because the next one is Joseph and he doesn't go with them I mean even though it's a son of Jacob but you know whatever Um, Isaac and Jacob because I want to cover this one because this one I love it it was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons Jacob and Esau it was by faith that Jacob when he was old and dying blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff This is about the power of blessing. Do you know in the scripture, older generation, older generation, listen up. Do you know in the scripture, you're told to talk of the faithfulness of God to the younger generation? Not in a sense of, you know, my generation was better than yours, or you know, this world is hopeless. You're to inspire them and speak blessing over them so that they desire to serve God. That's our call. As parents, we're to speak blessing over our children for their future. But here's the thing, the blessing isn't just what we see with our eyes, it's what we see with our spirit. The blessings that are prophesied over men and women, over their children in the Old Testament were not things that they always saw with their eyes. It was by God's vision that they saw something and they prophesied it. They spoke that blessing over those children. Look at Jacob. Jacob blessed each of Joseph's sons And he bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. But if you remember, the protocol is the better blessing goes to the older. So the right hand goes on the older son. The left hand on the younger son. So that you can bless them. So when Joseph brought his sons to Jacob, he put them there so that he could do that. But when Jacob blessed them, he went like this. Why? Because he knew what God wanted to say over those children. And as parents or as people... If all we do is speak the reality of what we see over people, we don't have faith. God wants us to speak faith over people. In other words, he wants to reveal to us things that he has put inside people that you're not going to see with your natural eyes. And what we do, we're really good at pointing out people's flaws and speaking death over them or speaking what we call reality over them. But God says, come up to my level. Speak my reality over them so that you can draw out what I've put in there. That's faith. Can I tell you, it doesn't take faith for you to be critical, that just takes human nature. I want faith. I want faith to look past people's flaws. Now, do we need to confront weaknesses, flaws? Absolutely. The Bible says if someone's caught in sin, you who are spiritual, mature, you should deal with that so that you can get them back on the right path. But it doesn't say nitpick every little thing in people's lives. It doesn't say speak over them constantly, their mistakes and their failures and their Speak life, I mean even when you correct someone, it should be covered in life. I'm only correcting you because I know who you are. You're a son and daughter of God, I know what God has placed in you, I know the potential that's there and if you will deal with this thing, you will flourish because this is what God's gonna draw out of you. That's how we ought to be correcting people, with life, that's faith. I could see Joseph's sons, I could go on to Joseph too, but I won't. We need to remember. We need to remember. There are better things that last forever. See, these people we've talked about, they probably show us, at least one of them, some situation in our life that we're dealing with right now. And if I'm not... Putting into practice what they put into practice, something is wrong with my faith. Doesn't mean I'm going to hell. It just means my faith is either weak, or my faith isn't there. Or maybe I, I I had some idea of you know serving God to get from Him instead of serving Him for who He is. And I just need to make that statement today to God and say, God, my faith is weak. Increase my faith. Increase my faith. How many? Who needs to pray today? Don't raise your hand. Who needs to pray today, increase my faith? This is who is. If our actions aren't doing what those people did, we need to pray, Lord, increase my faith. Increase my faith. Because I need to act like you exist, and I need to act like it's profitable to diligently seek you. I need to act like if I bless my enemies, that's profitable. I need to act like if I give what you've asked me to give, that's profitable. I can't live by my standard, I live by yours. So I wanna invite you to stand with me, and this is how we're gonna close today. In a moment, I'm gonna pray a prayer, and I'm gonna pray a blessing over all of you, and I know some of you need to leave, and I know we're a little past the noon hour, and I apologize for that, and some of you need to go, but our prayer team is gonna come in just a moment when I'm praying, and we're gonna be here in the front, I'm gonna be with them, and we wanna pray for you. And so if you're here today and you just say, I need someone to pray an agreement with me to increase my faith, you don't have to tell us what it is. You can just come and say, would you pray for me today for God to increase my faith? If you wanna tell us the area, we'll hear it, we'll... We'll pray for you. We're not gonna offer you counsel and advice unless when we're praying for you, the Holy Spirit gives us something to share. But we just wanna pray with you. And so we'll try to get through the line as quickly as we can if any of you wanna be prayed for. And so we wanna give that as an opportunity. And so um, while I close in prayer, I'm gonna ask the prayer team to join me here in the front and then we're gonna pray for you. And so Father, I thank you today for your word that you've given to us. And I thank you that you love us enough God, that you're willing to even correct us when we need it. So I thank you today for bringing correction to our hearts, for revealing areas of our lives where our faith is weak. Just as you corrected your disciples in their response to that storm, God, you've shown us through Hebrews 11, you've shown us through these men and women, through their responses. God, the type of character that you have the type of thinking that you have. And we need to come up to that level. So Father, today we repent of any way that we're living below your level, any way that we're thinking below your level. Holy Spirit, increase our faith to think like you do, to respond like you do, to act like you do, to speak like you do, to bless and not curse. Seal these words in our hearts today. Now, Father, I pray over this body that you would bless them and keep them, that you would cause your face to shine on them, that you'd be gracious to them, and that you would give them peace. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.